Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington and almost just said ballsy as the name of the podcast <laughs> instead of Sports Day Insider. They took that away from to a bygone era. Yeah. Boy, they took a our kinder, identity. A kinder, gentler era there, David Moore. <laughs> David, of course, is in Oxnard, California uh, at training camp. What's the temperature there, David? Well, to give a little context, when the Cowboys buses arrived at the team headquarters yesterday afternoon, I checked the temperature in Oxnard and in Dallas at that moment. There was a 36-degree difference, <laughs> and Dallas was 103. <laughs> and let's just say we weren't counting the heat index. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're figuring that any moment now, I may, I may spontaneously combust. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's even I, hotter. It, it's even hot. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the treadmill at the Y, and it's, I'm, I feel like I'm even sweating more inside. <laughs> No, there's just no escape, right? No, there is there is no escape. Unless from. you're in Oxnard's we're training camp. I, <laughs> yeah. I really wrestled the other night. I, you know, you probably want to spend too much time on the weather, but I kind of, I really got a little chilly the other night, and I was I was wrestling with or not whether or not I should call home and mention that, and I decided against <laughs> it. I think Cheryl would not have liked that. <laughs> she would not have liked that. No good. Don't do that. No. Just in the interest of preserving your marriage, don't do that. But, you know, here's the other thing real quick that's interesting. I mean, this is just, uh, I mean, we're talking about the weather, but it really does have an impact in a team's ability to get ready. And I go back to uh, when this team traded in Wichita Falls for a couple of seasons. And at one point, I remember they actually had three consecutive practices where the heat index was 103 or more. And what it forced them to do was, uh, it forced them to cut the amount of practice reps they took. And, and they cut almost a third of what they had planned for training camp because the heat was so excessive and oppressive. And, and uh, you know, they were combating that. So that team went in with a plan and they only had two thirds of the snaps they wanted to get in camp. You don't have that. Is Mike McCarthy won't have that issue here. Uh, they'll get in all the snaps that they have scheduled. And Mike McCarthy has other issues, I, I, I would argue, but, but not uh, training camp snaps. Yeah, this is something I brought the other day in my newsletter was that uh, people often ask me, why would anybody want to play or work for Jerry Jones? And I said, well, here's one of them. He takes his team to Oxnard for training camp where the Texans are training in Houston. My yeah. gosh, is there any hotter place on earth than Houston during this uh, this heat wave? I mean, with the humidity combined and all of that, uh, you know, the and then, as you mentioned, not even counting the heat index for the per first practice next week in Houston, it's, it's scheduled to be 95 degrees. And, and yeah. there in Oxnard, it's scheduled to be 70, 25 yeah, degree for, difference. For the next 10 days, it's not supposed to get above 73 degrees over the next 10 days. <laughs> right now, as we record this podcast, it is 61 degrees. <laughs> And moving on from the weather report. Uh, so mentioning uh, uh, the, your little interview with Mike McCarthy, which I have to say, David, did not seem like it got off on a really great note. <laughs> judging well, by he, his answer. Well, maybe it was a phone. He actually got a new phone, too, and he was like uh, messing with that. He couldn't get it set up right. But uh, uh, no, I, I, I decided, you know, why... Why beat about around the bush? And and I took the approach of, 
hey, let's just talk about your job right off the start. And then, you know, we'll just go from there and we'll just get it out of the way. And you won't hear it from me until, you know, I don't know, the season. Tuesday. When the season starts. <laughs> <laughs> no. So actually, I didn't put this in. I said, well, you know, I, I figure if we do this, do it now and just get it out of the way. I mean, it may, you know... I mean, what more can people say? So you address it early, get it out of the way, and, and you know, maybe you don't hear about it as much. And he said, yeah, you know, that's not going to happen, right? <laughs> I said, oh, I know, but I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to ask you some questions here. So, no, so I launch into it. And so uh, so we go right into it after chatting about uh, the offseason a bit. And uh, the, the response was, there's, a, there's a, a slight pause, not a long one, a slight pause. It goes, well, it kind of irritates me. Your first questions about this and nothing about how I go about and do my job. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've seen how he does his job. And so that's why we, we didn't need to ask that question. Right, David? <laughs> well, we got into how he does his job too. And, yeah. uh, and, and I would argue he, he does his job better than what the perception of many people around here have of him. Um, you know, I, I know we've talked about this before, but this like, unrequited love that Jerry has for Sean Payton and and Sean Payton's an outstanding coach. But when you go back and you put the career coaching NFL coaching statistics of Sean Payton and Mike McCarthy side by side, it's really hard to make an argument that they're not the same person (laughs) as far as their NFL accomplishments, you know? So now they are different in temperament and how they go about their job. I get that. But just from an accomplishment standpoint, um, you know, I think Sean has a little, has a, you know, a better playoff winning percentage, but, um, you know, Mike McCarthy, you know, I think, uh, you know, Sean Payton had three straight losing seasons, I think. And Mike McCarthy has never done that as a head coach. So, but, but again, he's one because he's out there and he's in the broadcast booth and people will periodically ask him, uh, do you want to return to coaching? And every single time he's going, well, of course I want to return to coaching. This is just a year away and we'll see what happens in the off season. And sure. I love Dallas. You know, it's uh, that's there. And then Dan Quinn, who um, they signed an extension with and uh, uh, did a tremendous job on the reclamation project of the Cowboys defense uh, would be the other guy. Yeah, you know, this all started, though, with, with Aaron Rodgers. You you never saw a, a quarterback, you never heard Drew Brees say anything bad at all about Sean Payton uh, and loved him. They had a great relationship, whereas Aaron Rodgers, who is a difficult guy to work with, no question about that, uh, he publicly questioned, you know, the, the job that uh, Mike McCarthy did in Green Bay. And so when Mike came to Dallas, I think everybody was – given that the thought, well, okay, maybe that was just Aaron Rodgers. And then right out the bat, when things started happening and there were some questionable decisions made here, it's like all of a sudden that gave all that Aaron Rodgers criticism credibility. And then that got Mike off to a bad footing yeah. with everybody in Dallas. Uh, and I know, and then and, and for all the reasons you just mentioned, because we all know what Jerry thinks of Sean Payton and we all know what Sean Payton thinks of Jerry. This yeah. is, why this seems like the perfect marriage should this all finally go bad with Mike, because how many times have we had a head coach come into this market for the, to to coach the Cowboys where there is a previous uh, relationship with Jerry and a good one at that Mm -hmm. a a coach. Let's say there's a coach who uh, has never, uh, who has been a head coach before we had, uh, of course, you know um, you know, there, there have been other guys in the, in the line here, 
but but never anybody that had that kind of relationship. So that's why this has all been stoked so much, and and why Mike is all going to be eternally on the hot seat in my estimation. Well, and stoked too because uh, after the loss to San Francisco, Jerry avoided a direct question about Mike's uh, job security. And really left him twisting in the wind publicly for 12 days before he said anything. Uh, now, at that point, when he did talk 12 days later, he said it was strategic. Uh, there was never any thought of Mike going uh, elsewhere. They were working behind the scenes to tie Dan Quinn down because they wanted it. You know, they wanted to keep the coaching staff together and all of this. But that's what it was. And you're right. I mean, you know, Mike came in here and didn't make an immediate impact. Uh, the pandemic and and no training camp that year, you know, no off season that year because of COVID. Um, you look at all the first year head coaches, that was a tough spot for all of them. I mean, you can't really, it delays implementing all the changes you're putting in. And, and not that all these changes are radical, but they all are different enough in the context of what the new coach wants to do and the new staff wants to do where, you know, you, everyone's not on the same page going into the season. Uh, made great strides last year, but again, what happened? Oh, same thing. They can't even get out of the first round. But, um, it, you know, it is remarkable. I mean, they, they won 12 games last year, and there are only three teams in Jerry Jones' tenure as owner that have won more than 12 games, only three times in 33 years. So, you know, I, I think what they did last regular season was a little bit dismissed as a stepping stone, but that's the whole point. Was it really a stepping stone? Are we going to see them go back this season as we have so many times after having a, a playoff season? Yeah, Wade Phillips was one of those guys. He won 13 games. Uh, yeah. And look what mm-hmm. happened to him. All right, so let's look at uh, some position groups here. We want to make sure we get this stuff in here. We're going to take three position groups uh, for the Cowboys this, in this training camp and that you feel like there are some uh, pretty good battles going on there. And we're going to, we're going to look at the offensive line, wide receiver, and at cornerback. Let's start with the offensive line, David. So they, they spent their first-round draft pick, Tyler Smith, uh, a guy who's kind of more or less projected just to step in and be the starting left guard and then eventually be Tyron Smith's replacement at left tackle. How is that going? Well, you know, that that's going to be probably the premier uh, position that the coaching staff will be looking at uh, in camp and really kind of sorting through and what they're going to do on the offensive line. Uh, it, it's been pretty apparent for several years this is a line in transition. I think it was really apparent last year and then them letting Lyle Collins uh, go as well. Uh, letting Connor you know, Williams, who was a starter last year, made no effort to re-sign him. You, you, you want to say, because in today's NFL world, a first-round pick should step in and start right away, but in Tyler, Tyler Smith is a college tackle, offensive tackle. In fact, the most penalized offensive tackle in college football <laughs> last year, who they're now asking to move inside and play a position he's never really played at guard and, and want him to start there. Um, I, think, I think it will happen, and I think it'll happen sooner rather than later. Uh, they would like him to replace Connor, Connor McGovern right now would be the starting left guard. And when he went in there last year, uh, he struggled. So they want to be a more physical, imposing offensive line. Uh, it would make sense. And their hope is that Tyler Smith will start at left guard. They also feel by starting him at left guard with uh, with Tyron Smith to the left of him. And however they settle the center situation, that he'll be a little more you know established. It won't be as difficult for him. 
Um, but we'll see. I, I don't think that's, I don't think they can just give that to him. I think that's a pretty big transition for him. He's been conscientious about it in the off season, how he's gone about it. But we're going to see out here day after day in uh, in camp when he's going against this Cowboys defensive line, just whether or not he's ready. Um, and, and I think you still have to question whether or not he is ready. But but that's the main spot in the le- in the offensive line. They want to settle on left guard and get Tyler Smith in there, get him ready to go in as quickly as possible. Two, I know a lot of people are down on center Tyler Biotich. Um, he actually got better late in the season last year. But it's going to be interesting because a, a draft pick from a couple of years ago, you haven't heard much about, Mac Farniok, who was taken in the seventh round. Uh, all the coaches uh, have been really impressed with what he's done this offseason, and they say he's primed to make a big jump. So uh, I think you're going to see competition at starting center between Biotic and uh, Farniok. Um, and I think uh, you're going to see it, you know, at left guard with Smith and, um, you know, Smith and McGovern. Now, the right side is settled, but. You also have some young tackles like Josh Ball, who didn't do much last year. Uh, you know, their fifth round pick this year that they want to work in. Uh, um, they, they need to get them ready. And the other thing is, I know we're talking about Tyler Smith at left guard, but he's going to, to me, the other thing that's going to slow his progress anyway is he's going to be also practicing at, uh, at left tackle. Because you look at Ty, you know Tyrone Smith and how much time he's missed in each of the last five or six seasons, uh, they're getting him ready for the left side. It's not just left guard. And, and to me, a, a first-round pick out of Tulsa, who is as heavily penalized as Tyler Smith was, teaching him two positions in the NFL in his rookie season, uh, I, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how that unfolds. So, so I really think offensive line is his biggest project in, in this training camp. And, you know, that's funny because we, we all remember when Jason Garrett came in and blew up the offensive line, right? And, uh, and I felt like that that was all done a little prematurely. You know, it was like, ah, we're just getting rid of all of these guys and we're starting all over again. And, and it, this feels a, not – it's obviously not that extensive. I mean, you still got Zach Martin on the right side of right guard and Terrence Steele did a pretty good job and, and displaced Lyle Collins last year, as you said. So – and then Tyron Smith, of course, is still there at left tackle. But it just kind of felt like, did you really need to make all these moves at once? Uh, and and I know that probably this is just the way the contracts broke and they decided they didn't want to make commitments to these guys. But uh, it, it is quite a step up to ask that guy, to, uh, Tyler Smith, to come in and play left guard and then also work at left tackle at the same time. It's like, why can't you just let him concentrate on guard for now if that's what you really want him to do? You're not asking him to, to to play left tackle. At least I would hope not. They were asking him to play left tackle. What about Josh Ball being the swing tackle? What about you know doing one of these other things, letting those guys and not put too much on this guy's plate at one time? Yeah, and, and I think that's something they. I think they'll judge that too, right? They'll see how it's going early in camp. If he seems overwhelmed, um, you know that's some of what slowed Connor McGovern's uh, progress. Uh, they tried to get him to play center and guard. And after a while, they just felt, well, we're not seeing the progress in this guy. Let's just put him at guard and go from there. And then they started to see progress. Um, they're open to how the player responds. And so they'll, they'll see how Tyler Smith responds in this camp and determine whether or not they're giving him too much or if they just say, hey, look, it, it's going to be hard enough to get him ready to start at guard. Let's just focus it all at guard. 
All right, let's swing over now to uh, wide receiver where there's a bunch of new guys uh, lining up uh, behind C.D. Lamb. And, and, of course, at this point, uh, Michael Gallup is not going to be ready at the start of camp. Uh, let's start with that really quickly, David. When, when would you expect that Michael Gallup would be fully ready to go? From what I've been told earlier, um, the, the plan from the start was potentially around the second to third week in the season, you can start talking about him coming back. Uh, now, those were long-range projections. He's looked very good, and he's been a little ahead of the uh, rehab pace that they set for him. They've been able to step it up uh, slightly quicker uh, than what they envision. So, uh, to me, it's still unlikely he's ready to start for the opener. Um, but before the end of September, uh, my belief is he'll probably start working his way into practice and, and could play before September is done. Okay. So uh, who would you expect would take his place at this one? Would that be Jalen Tolbert, uh, one of the draft picks? Well, I would think James Washington, the veteran they brought in here from from Pittsburgh, would be the guy. Now, the issue was he didn't do a lot of uh, OTAs with them either. Uh, he had an issue they were uh, monitoring. So um, he, he needs to come in here and look pretty good early in camp. But, yeah, uh, they, they really like the third-round pick. Um, you know, Dak had the receivers over, and he was, he was you know, they went to Florida. Uh, he, he went there with them. Uh, he, he really is uh, – he's reminiscent of Gallup. Uh, and, and you think back to what Gallup did as a rookie. Uh, he made some mistakes, but he had an impact – um, it's Jalen Rager, they, they like him a lot and he's going to be part of the rotation sooner rather than later. I just don't know if he's going to start right away, uh, opposite CD lamb. I think it's more likely Washington starts early. You know, that really feels like to me, David, this is something they're going to have to add a veteran wide receiver in camp. I, I, I know that, uh, Emmanuel Sanders is out there, a former yeah. SME receiver who played in Buffalo last year. Sure. seems like it'd be a nice to have a veteran guy, uh, like him who's been around, uh, and to just have him around these young wide receivers. You got so many of them to begin with. I'm sure you could get him on a cost-effective contract. Seems like a good move to me. Yeah, and they have plenty of room, and and I agree. But I, you know, the the Cowboys in in recent years they've used the first couple of weeks of camp to assess just where they are with their young players, and if they don't like where they are, normally the the end of that second week or the start of the third week of camp, you'll see them sign a veteran where they feel uh, we're just we just don't have the depth there that we hoped we would or uh, this young guy hasn't progressed as quickly. We just haven't seen it, so we have to cover ourselves. So I would not rule that out. Uh, I would rule it out you know, until you get around August 10th or so. All right, let's switch over on the defensive side at, at cornerback. Um, uh, Kelvin Joseph is not going to be charged uh, in that shooting. Uh, he was uh, in, the, in a vehicle with uh, people that initiated this shooting. Uh, so uh, we, I guess we have still have to find out if the NFL wants to do anything in this. Do you expect that the that Roger Goodell would want to make a, a suspension here? Well, even though there are no charges going forward, when you go back and you review the case, he didn't come forward for more than a month until an image of Kelvin Joseph. Uh, was shown on TV, and he was recognized by his necklace. Um, this wasn't just a shooting. It was a murder. Uh, the person died. Uh, and his lawyer, by his own admission, puts Kelvin Joseph in the car at the time of the fatal shooting. So even though there are not charges, um, 
I would argue it's not the look the NFL wants or, or anyone wants. So I, I, I still think that um, last we heard that they will just say we're aware of it and we're reviewing the case. Now that it appears that it won't go ahead legally, uh, I think they're more likely to 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 rule on this uh, before. You know, it's not going to impact him in camp because whatever they did would not impact his ability to take part in training camp and preseason games. Uh, so you still have you know four or five weeks to play with here. But my belief is there will be some sort of suspension for Calvin Joseph to start the season. I would expect at least two or three games, wouldn't you? Yeah, and, and again, like I said. You know, there are other issues. I mean, Deshaun Watson is the one that, you know, has to come down first before I think these others start to to, um, be adjudicated. But to me, yeah, to me, it it would be consistent that he will be suspended for at least two games and would surprise me based on previous uh, decisions if they did, if they chose not to do anything in this case. So uh, he he had kind of had mixed results when he played last year. So let's uh, look at the other uh, people coming back at cornerback. Obviously, uh, this is it feels a little odd to have uh, kind of the continuity they've had at cornerback the last couple of years. So you've had, of course, the, the play of Trayvon Diggs, who's emerged as a star in the league, at least in some people's eyes, maybe not in some others. Uh, you've had Anthony Brown has uh, got picked on a lot uh, and kind of up and down, but, uh, but he's been functional as a cornerback. And of course, Jordan Lewis uh, backing up those two. Uh, and then Nashawn Wright was one of the guys that uh, uh, was drafted and came in the same class as Kelvin Joseph as well, played some at the end of last year. So how do you see that mix going forward? Well, you know, what they hoped last year was that Kelvin Joseph would come in and win that job and Anthony Brown would be their third corner. They thought that would be their best defense. Um, that never came close to happening. Uh, Anthony Brown had one of his better seasons, and uh, Kelvin Joseph just, you know, needed a different approach to his job. I would say, um, you know, <laughs> that's a nice uh, way of putting it. <laughs> you, you may be, you know, you you may talk later on the show in uh, Kyler Murray's contract, the interesting clause about forcing him to watch four hours of tape a week. Yeah, wow, um, four hours of tape. Oh my yeah, gosh! Imagine that. <laughs> um, but. Um, there were questions about, you know, Kelvin Joseph's discipline and approach to his job last year as a rookie. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure with this offseason that he's really put himself in a position to to take that job from Anthony Brown yet. Uh, but I think he has a chance to do that in this camp because, again, they would like him to start opposite of Trayvon Diggs. And then you have Brown and Nashawn Wright there. Um, and, and really they, they like nation. I mean, they like Anthony Brown is like their slot corner too. And, uh, um, and, and the guy we haven't talked about here who really the last two coaching staffs kind of go, well, he's a really competitive guy, but if we could upgrade there, let's do it. And they haven't upgraded is Jordan Lewis. Uh, he just goes out there. Uh, he, he, he makes plays as a slot corner. Uh, he's very physical, he does give up some plays, but he really fits with this swagger and mindset that this defense started to develop last year. So he's a guy where physically coaches look at and go, well, we could upgrade there if we could just find somebody better. And they bring guys in here, and Jordan Lewis beats them out every year. 
Yeah, George's a little undersized, uh, but yeah, he's got a lot of fight in him, uh, and I think that is uh, the thing you want to see in a cornerback. You know, for for too long in, in Cowboys cornerbacks, it felt like there were no fight in any of them. No fight. Uh, yeah. So uh, that I think that's what set him apart uh, from from the moment he showed up. And uh, th- th- they've gradually gotten better there, and they're and they're better at safety as well. You know, they've they've yeah. made some incremental changes uh, or improvements, and then with some of the changes they've made and. Uh, and we'll see what Dan Quinn is able to whip up uh, with that. And obviously, we're going to talk about that a lot more as the weeks go by. David, we appreciate you being on with us. I know you got to run. you got stuff to do out there. But uh, you're going to step off, and uh, Evan Grant is going to step on, and we're going to talk a little baseball. So have a good time out there. Make sure you take your sweater to out there to, uh, to practice. <laughs> I have some pullovers. I have ample, ample supply of pullovers. <laughs> That's nice. That's nice. We'll see you. Talk to you guys. Bye. All right, we're back now with our, the Rangers segment of our podcast with our old pal Evan Grant, who's in Seattle. Evan, have you have you been enjoying the weather there? David's David's got seventy; it's at sixty-one in Oxnard as as we were taping this. What's the temperature there in Seattle? Uh, it was about uh, it, it's warm for Seattle. Um, it was a beautiful day yesterday in Seattle, but it, it's warm here. And I, I guess to this point that I, I you know I saw a few salmon jumping from Puget Sound into boiling pots of water to get out of the heat. Ha 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 ha! Uh, it, 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 it's uh, it's warmer than usual, um, but uh, this this month in Seattle is gorgeous every year. Sun's out every day. Um, actually, I, I know the bosses will be sad to hear this that I left my room and took a walk. Uh, for about an hour yesterday. Nice. Good for you to get out there and get a little exercise. All right. Uh, so let's talk about these Rangers uh, who, who can't seem to to win any games, but certainly uh, close games. It's a very frustrating team to watch, Evan. I tell you, it just seems like night after night, even when they get a 10-run lead going into the eighth inning, uh, they almost managed to blow that last game against Oakland. Brett Martin came in and uh, if you ask me, I, apparently he was auditioning for uh, Corey Seager's next home run derby. Holy cow! Back to back to back home runs in the ninth inning. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll was it was not good, and Brett, Brett kind of, I, I, I think his his approach, and I think he would acknowledge that his approach was not the best. It was big lead, uh, getting my first outing of the uh, of the second half. I haven't pitched in a while just make sure I throw strikes and you can't just, you know, you can't just throw the ball over the plate. You've, you, you've got to make quality pitches no matter how big the lead is. And no matter how weak the opponent is, this is the big leagues. And it's, you know, it's mental mistakes like that. And uh, that um, have hurt on the, on the bullpen side, they've hurt elsewhere. It, 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 it just seems like, again, this team lacks something to get it over the hump from being a mediocre club to a, a 500 Ten. team. Yeah. 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 This is the thing that, that, that gets me about this team is that, um, well, let's, let's start with Adolis Garcia, uh, who was a fan favorite and, for, and rightfully so He's, he seems to be a team favorite, you know, teammates love him. You know, the manager loves him. Everybody loves Adolis Garcia. Uh, because of the energy he plays with and the enthusiasm and, and and just his story anyway, making it to the big leagues finally in his late twenties. Um, 
But uh, Adolis, to me, kind of sums up the Rangers in a lot of ways. Uh, capable of doing some really great things, uh, be a really exciting player, and then also just doing something really stupid. Uh, you know, he'll, of course, everybody knows what a great arm he has. And then all of a, and, and he'll uncork a throw home. There's no chance whatsoever of getting a runner. And then meanwhile, uh, the, the less allows the hitter to take second base. Um, or taking huge swings at the plate. Uh, a guy as strong as Adolis is, and we he, we have seen that time and time again where he hits a, a home run to the opposite field, where it's obviously an example of the fact that he has so much strength, he doesn't need to be taking these huge rips at the plate. I was watching the broadcast uh, on the FS1 the other night, um, and I'm not saying that, uh, that the, the Ranger – regular broadcast duo doesn't always tell us exactly what's going on. But one of the things they commented on was that this, this stroke is, is, is too long. He needs to be shorter to the ball. Uh, and that's one of the things, of course, that Chris Woodward subsequently talked about. Uh, it's like, you know, they started out the season when they wanted to be a little more circumspect at the play. And then they decided, well, he's not hitting. Let's just let him have a, take a rip at it. You know, and then he, then he takes it too far and then he has to be reeled back in again. I mean, you can, yeah, in a lot of ways he does kind of sum up this team because you can make that statement about any number of guys on this team and the adjustments that they try to make is it, I, the, the image I keep trying to paint for people is is a pendulum or that, again, that stupid little toy we used to have in the 70s where you'd pull one ball, one steel ball, the click clacker, and it would knock the other ball all the way to the other end and eventually – they just kind of get into the middle. Um, but that's what this team does. There's so many players on this team that you tell them one thing and the adjustment they make is so far to one side that it puts them at a disadvantage. And then they, they start to make an advantage, a, 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 an adjustment and they, they, they take it to the other extreme. And it's hard to really get this team to narrow it down into a place where um, – the holes are not as exposed. Uh, in Adolis's case, this, we're talking about a player who is a fan favorite because he plays the game with a lot of emotion and a lot of energy. Um, and sometimes I think that gets to him and in, in, in a good way in some big moments where, you know, he, he lives for those. But also times when, you know, he does think he's Superman and he can make a throw to show off his arm uh, even when there's absolutely no chance to, to get a runner and it's going to allow a runner to move up a, a, an extra base. Um, where he thinks he can ignite the offense like he did, like he tried to do last night. Last night was a great example, right? He gets his team uh, back to in the game with, with an opposite field home run in, in Safeco Field. Eighth inning, he gets on base, takes a walk, works his way on base. He's going to be the, the, the third run in a 4-2 game. And he takes off for, for second base with Nate Lowe at, at, at the plate and two outs. And his run would have meant nothing there. Um, didn't get a good jump. Was thrown out. Uh, and, it, you know, in hindsight, Nate Lowe comes up in the ninth inning and a different pitcher, obviously, but but leads off with a home run. And there just there was no reason for Adolis to go in that situation. Chris Woodward said it. But this is, this is the thing that just keeps coming back to my mind is that this team by and large is not an instinctive team. 
Why that is, I don't know. I don't know if it's endemic all across baseball. I have my suspicions that it kind of is in this day and age, but it certainly shows up with when you watch a team day in and day out, their, their weaknesses is um, lack of instinct, instinctiveness. And, and that was the case last night. Yeah, I agree with that 100%, Evan. It's, it, they always find a way to, to lose these games. And I do think it's because uh, what you've seen in baseball and the, and the development of baseball from young people on up, it's that you just got to hit. Uh, and then you got to, you know, obviously the pitchers have got to learn to pitch and you got to fill your position. We want you to do all this kind of stuff, but they're just spending so much time on the hit model. I think that they're not observing all the things that you have to do to win games. And it just, as you said, you know, taking off in that position, uh, and trying to steal second base at that, at that point in the game just didn't make any sense. Uh, you know, not with, the. Uh... Lowe was either hitting Lowe was hitting fifth last night, and he's been as productive a hitter as the Rangers have for the last three months. He's the tying run, not you. Right. So you know, um, in the ninth inning, they had two men on. Once they got it within four three, and uh, they didn't want to take the bat out of Ezekiel Duran's hand, they felt like he'd had the best at bats of anybody in the game, but he couldn't make contact and they didn't advance the runner to third base. Josh Smith pops out and then you're, you're two outs. You haven't scored the tying run and you lose again and go five and 22 in one run games. Uh, that game, the series against Seattle all year in which they're, they're now two and nine against the Mariners. Um, and they've lost five. They've had five one-run losses to Seattle. I think again tells the story of this team this year. Seattle is a team they're going to have to contend with for for years to come in the American League West, and they're just not at the same level when it comes to making plays. Yeah. All right. Let's. Uh, we could go on and on all day uh, talking about the Rangers foibles. Let's talk about the trade deadline coming up. Uh, and as you wrote about for today's paper, uh, the possibilities and people who might be in discussions in, in this. And I'm, you know, the the Rangers are going to do their due diligence here, and there's going to be lots of people that are going to uh, put out there as as they should. Uh, there are really no untouchables on this club uh, unless somebody wants to take one of those contracts, uh, and the Rangers are not going to give up on. Corey Seager or Marcus Simeon at this point. Um, but everybody else probably pretty much is up for grabs uh, for the right price. So you brought up Martin Perez, uh, who uh, has been able to sustain uh, his, you know, he's not pitching as well as he was when he, in that great stretch from May and into June, but he's still pitching really well. Uh, he is, a, he, and he, and he pitched great in the all-star game. He comes back out in the second half. He, he picks it right up where he left off. Uh, this seems to me to, to, to show that maybe this isn't a fluke. Uh, he's not blowing people away, just pitching smart, and he's obviously very comfortable here. This, for an organization dying for pitching, for an organization that has accumulated a lot of guys down on the farm, but none of them appear ready to come up and pitch this year, uh, and if they can't pitch this year, I don't know why you would think you would go into spring training thinking that one of these guys is going to compete for a rotation spot and you're going to start the season in the rotation, right? Let's, well, let's, let's just stop right there for a second. And to this yeah. point, right? Cole Wynn, Cole Reagans, um, all the guys that are at AAA, the Rangers went out and signed Dallas Keuchel to a minor league contract last night. So, um, 
I don't think they're in any rush for Dallas Keuchel to get to the big leagues. I don't think they are. They're, they're planning for Dallas Keuchel to be in the rotation next week. But the point of the matter is they wouldn't be signing Dallas Keuchel, a, a twice-released guy at the very tail end of his career, who's a great competitor, without doubt. Uh, they would not be signing him if they felt like when or Reagans were ready to take the next step and go to the big leagues when, when they needed a, a, a pitching option. So um, that's a place I think if, if, if this team is honest with itself, the biggest single disappointment, save for, you know, the, the one run loss is, is just abysmal. The, the, that record is, is, it's a freakish number, but I think the biggest disappointment in general for this team has been the lack of development of the young starting pitching group. Um, and that includes Taylor Hearn, Spencer Howard, Glenn Otto, who did pitch pretty well last night. I, I have to give Glenn credit that he did pitch well last night. But the Rangers thought they were going to have about five or six options to fill out the back half of the rotation this year. And everybody has either not taken a step forward or, in a lot of cases, regressed. And that goes for Dane Dunning, who's going to make his return to the big league, to, to the roster uh, Tuesday in, in Seattle. You know, I mean, he has not pitched well either this year. You know, we went into this uh, to start the season, and we had this discussion back then. Uh, you know, I can't remember where I heard this, but someone once said that you really need nine pitchers to start a season. Nine guys you think can start in your rotation. Oh, I think uh, it's more than that now. I, I mean, I, I think you've got to have more. You've got to have more like twelve to get through to get through a season. Um, and, and again, that you know, that twelve number. There may be a handful of guys in there who who end up making. Uh, a dozen, less than a dozen starts, but yeah, I, I I think you've got to have two full rotations worth at the very minimum to plan to get through a season. Yeah, and and I would I would venture that they barely had enough for one uh, when the season started. Well, and- I mean, they're what they're twenty three and seven in games Perez and Gray have started since May one. Yeah. Do the rest of the math. Yeah. See, that's what's uh, to me, that's what was disappointing about the, what John Daniels and, and Chris Young did going into this season. I, I didn't really understand it. I thought they were short in the bullpen. And I thought they were short in the rotation. And, and it's like, OK, I, I know you, you're the, the plan is to try to develop some of these guys and you're moving along. But but clearly you raised expectations by going out and dumping a half a billion dollars on your shortstop and your second baseman. And when you do that. It, that's a signal to the fans. Oh, well, maybe they're maybe we're jumping the shark here a little bit. Maybe this is maybe that now it's supposed to be a, a in, you, in the ad campaign certainly indicates. Oh, look at this! You know there there's been some great moments in Rangers history, and now we're ready for another one. It's like, well, is this what they were promising? I mean, this is at this rate. I guess what what is the target now if they continue at this rate, Evan? It was seventy six wins, and it was seventy four wins, and probably more like 72 now, isn't it? I think it, it, it was at 74. The, the the pace was 74 going into last night. So right now they're at 73, 74. I, I, would, I would tell you at the bare minimum, you know, when you won 60 games the year before, bare minimum would be a, a, a dozen win improvement. You, you better expect that, you know, that's that, that gets you to 72. I, I think this team, Thought it was capable of, of fifteen to eighteen more wins than it that had last year, and if and if a few things broke right, it could flirt with five hundred. 
Um, it's not a 500 team right now, Kevin. They've, they, 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 they've demonstrated that over and over and over again in that they had opportunity after opportunity to physically get to 500, and that task always proved to be too much. That, that should, again, underscore for management, this team's just not that good. No. Um, it's it's better than it was a year ago. There's been some bright spots, but it's not that good. And that, I think that brings us to the whole idea of Martin Perez. And, you know, the thing for me is Martin, the, the Rangers have talked about wanting on-field improvement. We just had that discussion. They've talked about wanting to develop a championship culture. And I may not know a ton, but I've seen Martin Perez uh, grow since he was a 21 year old and I've seen how he's invested in this team and everything he does. Chris Woodward again said last night, the guy's been a rock star in every corner of the clubhouse, Latino corner of the clubhouse, the gringo corner of the clubhouse. He, he he's bridged gaps and you know, those can occasionally be significant in clubhouses. So he has done everything the Rangers are seeking. And I think that's why it's a little bit, it, it, at least on the surface, it's a little bit mysterious why the club hasn't gone to him and at least said, hey, Martin, we're going to get to you. We, we intend to keep you. Um, they have not, and I, I think there's some practical purposes for that. I think you don't want to ever lie to a player, right? You don't want to say we intend to keep you, and then the Nationals come and say, oh, you know, we'd take Perez in a Juan Soto deal, you know. Um, uh, but I, I think that, Barring all of that, come August 3rd, once the trading deadline is gone, and I expect Perez will be here, I, I think the Rangers owe it to him to say, listen, we want to work on an extension. Um, we plan to extend you. Let, let's sit down and talk. Yeah, because look, here's the thing. Uh, unless you're including him in some huge mega deal, like a like a Juan Soto deal, which there is a, probably about a – 3% chance they could do something like this. I don't think they have enough. I don't think you think they have enough to swing this deal without gutting everything they want to do. And then, of course, then there's the whole question of now you're committed to another 10-year contract. Do you really want to do that? I don't think that's such a great idea. As, as great a hitter as Juan Soto is, I just don't think that's a great idea. Um, but uh, having said all that, you know, I just don't think that, that what you would get in a return for Martin in another trade uh, is going to be enough to offset what he is right now, what the role he fills for this team on the mound, in the clubhouse, a guy who wants to be here. Tell, give me the list of pitchers in the history of this organization who are dying to stay in Texas. You know, it's about five people. Uh, you know, the pitchers hated being here. Uh, and most of that had to do with the ballparks and the heat and everything else. But at, at any rate, this is, this is an organization that's never really – produced pitching and developed it. And here it has a success story. Uh, I just think that this is a guy that they need to bring back and it's not going to cost you that much. I can't imagine. I, I bet that you get him a four year deal for less than 60 million. Uh, obviously you probably get, you know, somewhere, somewhere in that range. Wouldn't you say that was possible? I was, I was thinking more like three at right at 40 million, something like that. Three at yeah. 42. Um, I, I, I listen. There, the, what the parameters are. There's, there's a, there's a, there's a deal that will give Martin the security that that he would like, and that um, is, I don't want to say club friendly, but certainly works for the clubs. There, there, the parameters for a deal are there. I mean, that's that's the other thing is 
how many times are you going to get a chance to sign a a legitimate middle of the rotation? You know, whether you're talking about in a championship rotation, uh, a three or a four. I know he's pitched like a, a two this year, but whether he's a three or a four in a championship caliber rotation, that's a $16 million pitcher for a four-year deal right now. And I think the Rangers are going to be able to get him for less than that. So um, it all makes sense for them for them to keep him. And, and, and the only thing I can think of is that it's just such a foregone conclusion that they're not going to trade him and that they're going to extend him that they haven't even felt the need to, to, to say anything about it. And they need they need to talk it up a little bit. Um, there there are other people here uh, who might be uh, gone at the trade deadline as well. I want to ask you though about the the rotation at this point because you brought this up in your story today. Uh, so when they bring back Dane Dunning, that somebody has to go who's here now. That that's going to either be uh, Glenn Otto who pitched uh, Monday night and pitched very well, uh, Spencer Howard who's been all over the place, and Taylor Hearn who's been all over the place. Uh, which one of those guys you think goes? I, I I think right now, I mean, the the fact that you know you're having to use two pitchers to get through five innings with Taylor, even when he's been effective. You know, he's he's a he's about a sixty inning pitcher, a sixty pitch pitcher, um, with a bullpen that's really not doing well. That that just doesn't seem to be a, a good equation. So. Uh, he was the last guy to be to be called back up, um, and was called back up because of the Dunning injury. So, uh, for me, and by the time I say it, by the time we get this and get it on air, I'm sure that uh, I'll be wrong because that's what I do. But uh, th- that would be the one that makes the the most sense to me. I also think that I, I, I think the Rangers probably root internally a little bit more for Taylor Howard than they do for Spencer because I think Spencer can frustrate them sometimes with with walks and, and lack of command. I'm, I'm confused. Like you said Taylor Howard. So which one, which one is which? Uh, they root for Taylor Hearn a little bit okay. more sometimes, I think, they, than they do Spencer. I think there have been times that Spencer earlier in the year frustrated him. But his last couple times out have been, have been certainly more, um, more st- stable. Yeah, I, I just uh, my problem with Spencer Howard is that I, is the mindset. I, you know, so many of these pitchers, you know, obviously all you ever talk about with pitchers is having conviction in what you throw. And boy, you could just look down the line, and a lot of these Rangers pitchers, it's like I don't see any conviction in anything in any of the any of these and, guys. And you know, I mean, we conviction sometimes gets played out right in body language. Um, and Spencer doesn't have the mo- the world's most convincing body language you know he no. just doesn't not not he, he does not on the on the mound he just doesn't have that yeah doesn't uh all right i know we would say we we're going to talk a little bit more about the trade deadline but i want to get back to something here really quickly and i know this probably is not fair to uh to chris Weber to do that but at some point when we talk about all these things evan when do we have to say is the message getting through i mean i i think listen i, I think this team had to get through the the draft. I think they have to get through the, the the signing deadline and the trade deadline, and then I think they get to the evaluation purpose, the, the evaluation um, portion of the season. And you know that will be a question. I, I I think Chris Woodward, I think Chris Woodward is a good manager. I think that um, good managers aren't going to make a great difference with a mediocre team. Um, but again, you know the the the, the record in in close games is is, is stands out as a real sore point. 
Um, and not a lot of guys, even though the circumstances here have been unique, not a lot of guys get a chance to, to work through four losing seasons. And this is going to be the, the, the fourth losing season um, in a row for the Rangers under Chris Woodward. I, I think if you want to go back, you you look at, at, at his situation. In 2019, I think the Rangers played a little bit above where, where everybody thought they were going to be. 2020 was destroyed by the pandemic and by two, two pitching injuries right out of the gate. Um, and then 2021 was a complete give-up season by the front office. So I, I don't know where you, how you judge Chris Woodward. Do you judge him on this season? Do you judge him on the overall package? Do you judge him on on, on the two seasons that have been quote-unquote normal, 2019 and this year? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I think that, that they got to find that out. And they, they need to have a pretty good idea, idea of it going into the next season. Uh, if you – that's why they, they need to me, that's why they need to make a deal for a pitcher in, in the rotation, somebody to plug in and to stop some of the bleeding here uh, and give him something to work with going forward and see if it's possible. This team could put a, get together a little bit of a run. The team just hasn't put together a run all season long. Uh, and so if he could do that, then I'd have a little more confidence about going into next season with him. But if not, I think that it raises serious questions to me about the message getting through because that's in in the end, isn't that what it's always about in the manager now? It, is the team listening to him? Is the team ex- able to execute what he's asking them to do? Some guys just aren't able to do it. I mean, as you said, you can't always blame it on the manager just because they're losing, but you can't fire all the players either, and that's always the the issue in the end. Yeah, I I, I can't disagree with that. I mean, I I, I again, I I believe in. I believe Chris Woodward's message is is a positive one. I believe it's a good message. I believe he he wants this team to do things that on the probability scale will help them win. But you also can't make players instinctive. And if they're not instinctive, you're you're fighting an uphill battle. Um, and you know, at some point in time, you just start to wonder whether or not the, whether or not the message is getting through, or how valid the message is. You get to a point where it's like, well, you got to do something. You know, you can't just sit there and 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 not do anything. And I hope the Rangers haven't uh, haven't reached that point this year with with Chris Woodward because I think that for a good team, he will be a very very good manager. Um, he's got the he's got the swagger. Um, I think he understands probabilities really well. I think he understands how to really press um, situations. I just don't know if he's had the players to execute. Yeah, me neither. All right, that's going to do it for our podcast this week. We appreciate everybody stopping by to listen uh, and and come back and join us again next week, and we'll check you next time. Thanks. Thanks.